Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Okay, so uh, in our effort uh, to walk with Jesus chronologically and and set up the stories a little bit differently than we've done in the past, uh, one of the big challenges, of course, is what comes first. Uh, and if you spent time uh, in the Gospels, you, you recognize that John appears to be on a unique timeline, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic, which kind of has a sense of the same. And they do follow similar things. But they're still not in the same order. And so there's a judgment call on a lot of this. We're going to jump to uh, Matthew 4. And in this context, uh, in verse 18, Jesus is calling his first disciples. Just a couple things to think about. Uh, he, according to Luke, by this point, he's already interacted with Peter because he's already healed Peter's mother-in-law. And according to John, at least the way I understand it, he's already interacted with Andrew and John. Uh, because they were disciples of John the Baptist. And if you remember a few episodes ago, we covered that. And Peter. He's already said to Peter, hey, you're going to be called, you know, Cephas, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, he's already said to Simon, you're going to be called Peter. And so uh, it's interesting. The, the one reason why I do like this chronology is because it makes what's about to happen make more sense. Yeah. Because if you think this happened before all those things, then... Basically, you're saying these people changed their whole entire life based on seeing one miracle with fish. And that's okay. If, if that's the way it happened, that's fine, too. But it, it, to me, it's more interesting, I guess, and make more sensical to think this has been sitting on their minds and in their hearts for a bit. Yeah. So that that's sure. one of the things I think of when I read this. And I think, I think it's helpful whether it's the definitive chronology or it isn't. Um, Experts and PhDs have argued this sort of thing for, you know, as long as those things have existed. Um, and so there's no definitive answer. And so you go, okay, well, there must be a reason that's the case. Why is God okay with no definitive, you know, easy timeline that some PhD figured out 50 years ago? And you go, hey, maybe we're meant to, meant to swim in it a little bit and play around a little bit. And so I think trying to give some, try to give some dignity to this story um, you know, it's one of those things that the story of um, of the miracle of of the fish here. Um, the thing that has always struck me is it's one of those stories that's talked a lot about when you're a kid. And I grew up in church, and I, you know, I I, I, t I tend to get the sense that a lot of those curriculums seem to touch on this a lot. And it's funny because it doesn't hit me the same way. Because if I went out fishing with you, and suddenly you're like, "Hey, there's all these fish, and you know, it's fantastic," and oh my gosh, what a miracle! I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool. There must be some quirk of nature that caused." these fish to suddenly appear that wouldn't be my first example and so for me to try to give dignity to these people to like fully recognize what they're experiencing and see, seeing like i want to put my mind in like what would it look like in my in my day-to-day -day life in my work in my job to see you know this sort of miracle happen um something that i have deep intimate knowledge of like that they would have had deep intimate knowledge of fishing um in my life what, what do i have deep intimate knowledge of what do i know when things are going the right way when they're going the wrong way when something is happening that doesn't make any sense at all um, and so that's where I want to put my headspace is reminding myself, um, yes, okay, this is literally happening where there's this miracle where, you know, this, there are crazy amounts of fish, 
But if I'm going to really understand it, I have to get in the perspective of what do I know so well that I would just be flabbergasted if something um, different or some some separate path went off. Now, this is going to seem like flat blasphemy, so I'm just going to go ahead and preface it with that. Flat, so. flat bla- <laughs> blasphemy sounds like a uh, 1990s diss track or something. <laughs> So, uh, but I, but I think what your point is, I think that's really valuable because since fishing isn't a big deal to me, like I have been in situations where we, we went to a place and because of radar, we didn't have nets, but it's just like, you could catch big fish all day long, you know, all day, all day long. And so it, it became pretty normalized quickly. So it didn't matter that much. So honestly, I wonder, do I read this as that's kind of kooky? That, that that's what would convince you. But you're yeah. absolutely right. When you have struggled and and maybe dreamed of, which is a weird thing to think, but this is their mm-hmm. livelihood, you know, man, if we got this big of a catch, then dot, dot, dot. And then you're able to think, you're able to experience that. Yeah. That, I mean, it's like, well, I mean, so like, so cliche, like your dreams all come true. Well, and I know. think about like, so Hannah, Hannah has a photography business and, you know, I have a very steady job. It doesn't, it's not like, you know, we're not, you know, uh, we're not going to solve world hunger with all the money I make from it, but it's very steady. And basically like all of our possible momentum and like getting ahead financially comes from how good, how successful Hannah's business is. And some, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not so great. And I think about the really down periods where we've been. um, And there are times when like somebody just out of nowhere booked a wedding and it did feel miraculous. It felt like, Oh my, like, Oh my word, this, this massive check came down from the heavens and it just like appeared on our, on our table. And again, you know, Yes and no, like all gifts are a blessing from God, but you know th- things happen, and I, I I think it's just important for me, one to own in my own heart. Gosh, I hate fishing. It I do <laughs> not get it. In fact, if I went fishing with you and you suddenly started pulling, you know, tons and tons of fish out, I'd be like, oh great, it smells like more fish in here. Uh, <laughs> um, what are we gonna do? Now? What are we gonna do now? <laughs> yeah. uh, how soon can we get these off? How soon can I get home and take a shower? Um, but too, yeah, just just to just to remind ourselves, like you know, this is. Um, it's not just food for them. It's sus- it's it's their livelihood. Um, it's their ability to be confident in the next week that they will have enough money if the next week isn't great. And it, it, there's so many things that are wrapped up into this um, that when we put it into our language and we put it into our mind, of, um, we get the client, we don't get the client. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I think um, reminding ourselves because again, we can. I can get really caught up that they're, you know, blue collar workers in this very th- niche thing. That not a lot of probably there's not a lot of, a lot of our listeners that are like commercial fishermen. Um, but you go like, yeah, this is this is a very common job and a very common way to make a living, and it's very hard and very difficult. And so let's give let's give honor to that. I I had prefaced uh, my comments by saying flat blasphemy. I haven't told the flat blasphemy. Oh, <laughs> I it was uh, when I came into the army. So I just finished up basic training. I was in permanent duty. The relationship between sergeants and privates were not kind, you know. And there wasn't a, there was a lot of ridicule, and even outside of basic, it was like I need to put you in my place, in your place, you know. So we played spades. I mean, the military it's part of the indoctrination. You just play spades, 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 spades all the time. And so I'm learning to play spades. And a sergeant who did not like me walked by and he saw my hand and it was like this perfect hand where everybody had a spade in their hand because if they don't, then you call it a misdeal and you have to do it again. But I had everything good. Like they had the two, the three and the four spades and I had all the aces and all the spades of, of all the other suits. So his eyes got huge 
And all of a sudden, this man who is mean to me in every sense of the word, you know, any way he could be, he sits down and he's like, can I play this hand with you? And see, I didn't know what spades was, you know, like I didn't know there was something amazing happening. I thought he really liked me, mm. <laughs> you know? And so he, like, he can't, he's telling me what to play, but like with such like grandfather energy almost, like it's like he's so delighting at <laughs> this experience. After that, he couldn't care less about me, this kind of thing. But for that moment, mm-hmm. that's that weird deal of when it's totally different. And so that's the the kind of, um, n- not how I felt, but how this this man, I mean, how many yeah. hands of spades did he played wishing you'd do better? Because I know they it often would involve money. But it but it's that idea of life is supposed to be going this way and it totally goes this other way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and that's that's intriguing to me. Yeah, I, I think that I think it's all really helpful. Now let's actually try to get to the actual, you know, part of the podcast where we discuss it. So Jason will read uh for us because his tones are so much better and uh more peaceful and, and godly than mine. There you go. I, I will I will add that to my resume. So we're making a shift. We we were going to do Matthew. We're actually going to do the the uh, telling in Luke chapter five, beginning in verse one. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon, Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay. So, with all of that in mind, including those card-carrying antics, yeah. I, what hits you there? What amazes you about this interaction? So, what's really what's really hitting me is how Simon uh, responds to to Jesus's command and Jesus's uh, call for him to to put out the nets again. I when you read it. And again, maybe it wouldn't be we don't have the exact tone, but the way he said if I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best in my mind what this sounds like to me. Simon answered, Master, we're work- we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, uh, I guess we'll let down the nets. Like for me, there's so much when I read this, it sounds like this begrudging like two uh, percent of faith that Simon is putting in here. Like this reads so much as a, I will humor you. I'll do this to make you happy. This doesn't sound like the start of a, um, of a man turning and giving his entire life, uh, to God. This doesn't sound like, like, I don't know how many times I've worked, I worked with a lot, a lot of teenagers and I once was a, a kid and how often, um, I was chided or heard other kids chided for the not giving, not doing something with that full, um, with that full hundred percent buy-in with that full hundred percent, um, gung ho, you know, let's, let's, let's tackle this together. And I just love that for this specific man, especially for what he'll go through down the road, um, that for him, the initial buy-in seems to be like 
so begrudging and like, I'll just put a little bit in and yet Jesus doesn't feel the need to be like, oh, you have little faith or, oh, you know, he just, he just uses that little bit of buy-in um, and, and he takes it and he does what he does with it. I think that's, that is, uh, it's just fascinating how assuming that Peter has watched Jesus heal his mother-in-law and assuming he's heard stories, you know, it, it is, it is amazing to me that he doesn't think, I, I think your assessment is right. I don't think he's saying Jesus will make this better. I think in his mind, he's the benevolent party here. And, and you, you had said the word humoring. I, I think that totally fits my perception. And I think that's so human. Like how many times will you look back in your life? Well, let's flip it. How many times is something coming up in your life and you're like, man, I'm so scared. I'm so scared, you know? And, and maybe you don't even think about God. You know, you're like, well, God's spiritual. I'm over here in my real life kind of feel. But then you look back, if somebody were to come alongside you and say, well, were there other times where you felt really up against the wall and man, things really were a blessing and you were like, wow, I think God did that for me. And I think most people that have been following Christ for a while would say, of course, that's happened. Of course. And then so why do we as humans not make that connection? Mm. Because it has a different feel. It's a different situation. Who, who knows the variables? But I think it's, it, it is amazing and yet very, very human that Peter, knowing that this man could do things that were just not normal, uh-huh. you know, that he doesn't get excited about it. Yeah, he, he's he's really I think he is begrudging. I think he is tired. And I think that's exactly the way I work in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, for me, I, I've carried a lot of guilt um, in my life for acting this way towards God. And I, and I don't think it's a it's the best way to act towards God. I think, yeah, full buy in and not humoring. Uh, but I, I think about something as simple as like a Bible reading plan, Bible, my Bible reading plan that I've, I've had for several years now I, that I do before work. And I would conservatively say 60 to 70 percent of the time I might not go into it this way, but it feels like I'm doing it more for God. It feels like I'm humoring God. It's something, you know, I'm eating my vegetables so that God is happy with me. Most of the time, that's the spirit with what with, with which I do it. And a lot when I'm in the other 30 percent of times, I feel really guilty um, that that's the way I'm doing it. And there's even a sense of like, wow, what, what is even the purpose of that? What's even the reason for me doing that? And I go, one, I want to change that 70% to like 10 to 15%. I want it to be less, less often. But then I go, but it's better that I'm still doing it. It's better that I'm still like in them. It's better that I'm still engaging, even if it's half-hearted, even if it's not fully there, there's still that, um, there's still that engaging where I'm tuning into God. Maybe it's not as much as I could have and I'm not gaining as much and I'm not growing as close to God as I possibly could. Um, but I go, yeah, it's, that's still, that's still better than not. Um, and maybe for me, the thing that I'm going to take from this is not that like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't strive to do better or, you know, try to, to be less trying to humor God, but go like, Hey, God's still, God's not. If when somebody tries to humor me in my life, when somebody uses a condescending tone, I get so self-righteous and so um, indignant that they would dare uh dare look down upon me in that way that they could humor me in, in a possible set setting and maybe you could say that god does that but i think from this and then when i start to track through the life of jesus you go man i don't think god acts the same way when people humor him as when I, people try to humor me mm-hmm. yeah and i think this is it's really a fascinating question that it raises is you know oftentimes 
Oh, okay. When when they say, "Hey, Jesus, how can we divorce? You know, how can we? What do we need to do? Do you agree with Moses? This divorce dynamic?" And he's like, "Look, from the beginning, it's been this way. You know, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And what God has put together, let nobody, you know, tear asunder, kind of thing." And he's in answering that question, they're like, "Well, hold up, wait a minute. So, yeah, from the beginning, why didn't you say anything to Abraham when he took on Hagar as a as a pseudo wife? And I mean, what about?" You know, Jacob, who had two wives, and what, oh my goodness, what about Solomon? He had, you know, why weren't they corrected for this? And and I think it's a correct to say the standard did not change, mm-hmm. but because of the flow of grace and mercy and love between God and his people, he was focused on a different thing. You know what I mean? He was focused on the heart. He was focused on, call it what you will. There was a piece of the mission that was true here. And I think this is true. I do think the standard is God says it, I obey him. I also, because of the the testimony of the scripture itself, I'm like, yeah, the people didn't act that way. Mm -hmm. There are times when God says, do X, and they're like, yeah, how high? But, but But the thing is, most of the time, so many times, there's hesitancy, there's backtalk, there's doubt, there's you know, any number of things. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this like when we, we processed Elijah's life, there are times he's like, I'll do it. And then the next day he's like, I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just very, very human. And God doesn't say, well, then I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why didn't he say here, oh, you have little faith? Yeah. You know, prior to it. And he's only promising a catch. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not promising the most stupendous, you know, fishing experience they've ever had. And so and so it would be so easy to be offended here. And it just raises what is my a color which will my assignment mm-hmm. and and how God looks at me. Because I think we over assign ourselves, here's how it should have gone, and then I feel guilty about it, and then I feel defeated for the next time. And I do I don't know. I think it's fascinating because I've I've known this story since I was a child. I don't know if I notice this idea of this is not simply him saying, man, I'm really tired. This is, I, I see this as him saying, I'm the expert here. Mm. You don't know what you're talking about, but we're going to go through the motions because I have some respect for you. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know. I do think that's fascinating. Yeah, man. And I, I think I don't want to ever be, I don't ever be amazed. You know, almost, it, I don't ever not be amazed by, by that reality that, God is so patient with the quote unquote experts. Um, and that, yeah, I, I just, it is less miraculous. It's not less miraculous. It astounds me less when God reaches out of the, reaches into the mud and pulls somebody who's just gone through, you know, the worst moments of their life and saves them and places them, you know, on a new path. And like, it's crazy and miraculous, but what's almost more astounding to me is that God could take a, somebody who's self-righteous, a self-righteous expert in any given area and rescue them from from their uh, from their man-made mud and mire. Um, and yeah, I just I never want to get tired of that. Well, what what hits me with this passage, and what what amazes me is. It's Jesus, and this just continues from the spirit that you talked about, but when G, when Peter sees the miracle, and somebody made the point, I, I think it might have been Tim Rush made the point, that you'll notice he fell at Jesus' knees, 
where why would you fall at a person's knees? You'd usually fall at their feet, and it's because he's still in the boat, so he's got a face full of fish. You know, it's as far down as he can get, but he, it's a weird detail to say he fell at Jesus' knees. But he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That is a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. That's I don't meet the standard. And what's fascinating is Jesus' response to him is about his emotions. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid. And it's not, he, he could have said, hey, I'm going to forgive you for all that. Or we're going to figure out a way to beat this sin in your life. But it, but he got to the heart of where Peter was. It, it's not his sinfulness that was keeping Peter away from doing it. It was his fear. Mm. It was his fear that I'm going to be exposed. So this is a it's just such a beautiful a statement of grace to him right at the beginning of this walk together. Because even if they'd had interaction before, there doesn't seem to be this walk together that's happening up to this point. And so I just, I don't know. I just, I love that. And I love that it even has new life to me, which is probably what's amazing because I've heard this story so many times. But it's the idea of Peter issues a statement of fact. I'm not meeting the standard. And Jesus' response is, hey, I'm seeing your heart here, your feelings here. And I just want you to be calm. Not, Mm -hmm. hey, we're going to get you there. It's don't be afraid right now. You know, it's almost like live as if you're competent, you know, kind of right now. And you're going to do this, not eventually do it from now on. You will. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. such a strong, strong statement. Uh, I am sad that that it changed it from fishers of men. Fish for people sounds so weird to me being raised on fishers of men. But anyway, but yeah, Yeah. that's what hits me. Well, and I think that the beautiful part about it is like the the natural reaction, I think, of 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 a human to the divine without Jesus is is you know I need to be away from this. It's so holy. It's so greater. It's so better than. And even in this moment, you go like, this is the this is the message of the gospel, right? Is that not like you do not have to be afraid in the face of God in the fra- in the face of holy perfect holiness. You don't have to uh, turn your face away. Um, and not only do you not have to turn your face away, um, but God has no desire to walk away from you. God has no desire to, to get up or get you away from him. Um, and so even from the very beginning, like you saying that just keeps drawing and go, okay, this is, this is, this is part of the core message of the gospel. And that's even just seeing that little piece of it, you go, oh yeah, that like, once you see you go, like, how could I, how could I have missed that? Maybe that's the whole point of the story. Um, but you just saying that just completely drew it out for me even, even more so. Well, and, and what's fascinating, I'm going to shift to what perplexes me with all of that. It's still perplexing I that they left everything and followed him. And what does that even mean? And I'm reminded that after Jesus has died, after Jesus dies, they somehow find these boats again. So they left them with their father, I guess. Um, but it is that dynamic of it's – I could understand if they said, that is amazing. Can we meet tomorrow? You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and does that mean they never go home? Do they not go – pack anything i mean this leave everything it, it's just i don't know this goes back to your 100 percent. what is 100 percent? and and then i'm reminded of uh, paul writing you know hey once you get married you move out of you move into civilian affairs like you're not a soldier in the same way you know that he talks about and i'm like hmm. and and but peter maybe was married his wife maybe died maybe still alive, you know what i mean but he's got a mother-in-law and so it's just, it's all confusing. Like, like how do you, I mean, it just raises so many questions about if he's with Jesus from here on out, and we don't know, there's lots of times we're not quite sure where the disciples are because it isn't mentioned whether they're there or they're not at times. But it's like, is he just with Jesus and they have no place to lay their head? And so they're traveling all around, which is a ton of traveling for a person in their 
you know, their era. And it's like, what about your relationship with your wife? You know what I mean? What about your relate your responsibility? Yeah. If if you're just single and you have nobody to attend to, but I'm just like, even as a kid, I mean, they're adults, but as as a as an adult son, mm-hmm. I assume that that Andrew and he were making money for the whole family, not just for them. It's like, ah, we're we're done. Yeah. And so it it is really perplexing. Well, even it makes you wonder, like when Jesus talks about, you know. Uh, family turning against family you know is there a moment where peter's like oh, i know yeah he he, he did that already i he know he, he uh promise fulfilled there i think i think one I, I definitely echo echo the perplexion here in terms of just how like what is it about this that causes whether it be the buy-in or the immediacy of it all even just when jesus says don't be afraid from now on you will be fishers of men or fish for people you just go like what is it about that Again, like I, I get the sense that it's the the main part of the. It, I don't know if it's just the call to follow. It's the call to be a student of a rabbi. I, I don't know what exactly they're hearing that's causing them to be compelling. But you go for these men who had no. Um, we don't see anything before that they go had a, they had a um, any sort of inclinations before this to be people that were like you know public figures helping other people, um, changing people's minds. You know what is it about this call that Jesus offers beyond just being with him? that is appealing and is it just being with him that's appealing because you would think like what Jesus what Jesus is implicitly offering is so compelling right the idea that hey I'm the son of God and I want you with me and I want you to be a part of this and I you know you I will not turn away from you okay I totally see how a blue collar fisherman could be like okay that sounds awesome also um not only do you get to be around me, but you're going to do what I do for other people? You go, oh, that doesn't sound as fun. Like, mm-hmm. I, just from what we, like, you know, know up to this point of of, of these guys, you go, that doesn't sound as, as appealing. So, yeah, what it, and I'm sure it was a combination of all sorts of things, but what what was, you know, when when they, when it became clear, like, like you said, they weren't going to have a pillow that night and they walked away, you know, what was it that stopped him from getting up and going somewhere? What was the, what was the thing that kept him there? Yeah, and and I have to, I'll tell you, the fear around this for me is, you know, well, I'm married, I have kids, I have responsibilities. Have I worked myself into a place that because of my perspective, I can't respond Mm. to his next call for Fisher's Men? You know what I mean? Now, I see God to some degree. I mean, I think I could find some disclaimer, but honoring marriage throughout. So he's not anti-marriage, clearly, but but it is this interesting thing that go with Abram and Sarai, you know, it's like when, when Abraham's like, when Abram's like, Hey, we're going to leave civilization and we're going to go sleep in a tent the entire rest of our lives. It's like, was she like, well, I didn't get that message. Like, was there a talk, you know? Yeah. And, and it's just all through the Bible, you'll have these interactions where there's, there's, it's not even collateral damage, but collateral effect. It's like, okay, this person gets a call well, then all of a sudden, their whole family's going, and it's like we are in such a different era. Yeah, you know, if 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 I get a call, you know, and then I immediately think, well, man, that doesn't fit Heather's giftedness at all, and that you know what I mean. I immediately so it's this is the the fear I carry, and I take great comfort in God's grace, but it is that dynamic because I feel like God has shown me so many amazing things, and am I still like, well, we'll lower the nets if you want, like we'll go through the motions with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how much would it take, how, how much should I demand yeah. to change the direction I'm going? Well, it's almost like we've, and maybe this just begins to be so, 
maybe it's it's the ultimate problem with how we are viewing family and marriage and parenthood where it, it becomes our kids our family our wives um our husbands become an extra bureaucratic uh, like paperwork that has to sign off on God moving. <laughs> right. Um, and again, I think there's, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think there are times where like, I thought something was of God that Hannah didn't and Hannah and Hannah was right. And God was moving in her to, to still me. Um, and so th- there is, there's so, so many, like there's that massive grace there and there's so many different nuances here. Um, but yeah, you do. There are times where Hannah has done things where she was like, I just felt God called me to do that. And I was like, that sounds stupid. I don't think you're right here, but then you go, okay, if I love my wife, and I'm going to trust God, then like my, per- I have to take, like, I just have to take my personal feelings. If she felt like the God of the universe moved her to do something specific and I don't like what she did. And I'm not obviously like if it was sinful or whatever, but like something that was objectively not sinful, um, but was just awkward and put things in a weird position, put us in a weird position. You go, okay, like my job here, like is my job here is even if it's, you know, the, okay, geez, I guess I'll allow my wife to put these, you know, these nets over the edge of the boat, or I guess I'll go, they're already in the water. So I guess I'll go along with it. You go, okay. Sometimes I think maybe the thing is Jesus goes, yeah, like sometimes, sometimes you need to just begrudgingly go along and I'm going to do something with that too. Yeah. I, I think it is, it is when we really step back and think about how much faith it takes us to do almost anything in our world. It, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's not to pat ourselves on the back. It's just to recognize even those statements you just made. You're having to say, I trust that God is sharing with this person. And man, nobody loves Hannah like you love Hannah. You know, mm-hmm. nobody values her. But also nobody knows her weaknesses like you do. You yeah. know, and, and vice versa, of course, from her to you. And so it's like there'd be so many things to say, well, was she coming from this space or that space? I know. And, well, and, and I could it, talk it to death. I know she has this trauma when she was younger. And I know that God, you know, it, it, so you could you could rationalize it to death. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think and that's the thing is you have to have a, 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 a piece about you that it just all comes down to. I think God's got this. And if we're getting it wrong, he is so good. Mm-hmm. He is so good that he can fix it. He can correct it. And you see it all through the Bible where people are getting it wrong and he just fixes it. And and we don't even hardly notice how he fixes it. Like to some degree, could you make the case that the apostles are given this assignment to go, go, go. And then several years later, nobody's left Jerusalem. And so he breaks out this persecution and everybody leaves except the people that had received the initial assignment, mm. you know, and it's like, but he's not mad. He's like, I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. And I think that's the piece I have to find that, man, I want to be more responsive tomorrow than I am today. And at the same time, I'm not God. Yeah. And God, though he uses me to accomplish his mission, he's not dependent on me to accomplish his mission because that's his mission. Yeah, man, that's so good. And I might, I might cut this here, but I just want to, I just want to touch on it. We talked, we talked a lot about when Jesus was in Nazareth, how it would feel to be so um, rejected and part of it is because they understood the implications of what he was saying about himself um, and what place he was putting, you know, putting himself in terms of being above them and how we would have dealt with that rejection and how he would have dealt with the feelings. And what I what, what's so fascinating here is you have you have Peter, who seems to have one of the first times where somebody somebody truly gets him on a very deep level, gets Jesus on a very deep level and how one like what are Jesus's feelings in this moment to be so seen to have such a rational response to Jesus and then have that, that rational response be, you know, get away from me. You're, you're too like, how would that make Jesus feel? How would Jesus process that? Um, but then too, you go like, man, what a, um, what a, what a moment for Jesus to have somebody go from like 
you're too holy, you're too amazing, I'm too terrible, get away from me, to being, you know, your travel buddy for the next few years. And I just, I just love to think about for Jesus, what, what were those emotions like as, as he began to collect, collect these people to go along with him? Um, you know, what was it like to be, to, to have the rejection? What was it like to suddenly get the, to, to get the, to, to get the yes, if you will, um, what I just would love to to know and one day know talk to Jesus like what were all the feelings associated with with this specific story? You know that I've never thought about it. I mean that is so fantastic to me that when you look at the chronology, you have John the Baptist says, "Hey, here he is, Lamb of God, takes away sin of the world," but you don't see you know like Andrew's like, could it be? Could it be? In this statement, I've always focused on the I'm too sinful, which is true. I didn't focus on the statement of what it says to Jesus' heart to hear from somebody that not only says, I'm too sinful to be with you, number one, number two, he calls him Lord. Mm -hmm. And that is a big deal. I've never really thought about it because he is the first person that I see that at a cost to himself is being honest to God, honest to Jesus here. Mm. And there's something really super beautiful about that that I did not even pick up on really ever before is what that said to Jesus' heart that confirmed, no, you're, you're the right guy. Yeah. W- which is the funny thing because he thinks, well, here's here's where I get voted off the island here, you oh, know? yeah. And it's the opposite message to Jesus that just honest, I'm acknowledging who you are, I'm acknowledging who I am, and I get it. That there's nothing I can do to make this work. That, that's mm-hmm. like the incarnate poor in spirit. Yeah, you man. Know? And I think about how the excitement that Jesus must have felt because Peter does understand so much of what who Jesus is now and what he's coming to do, but he still, does, still doesn't get it. He still doesn't understand what Jesus has come to do. And that invitation of like, man, not only does he get himself and he gets me, like he has so much more to discover and he has so much further to go. And, and that excitement, um, one, with, with, with Peter, you can almost, it almost feels... Um, palpable, like what that would what that would be like for Jesus to to get those initial steps in that that you know we've we've gone through with this man and to see and we'll track more of the steps and there'll be backward steps and forward steps all along the way. But you think, man, um, the, the, these initial times had had to just be so um, mesmerized. I don't know if mesmerizing is the right word for Jesus, but they just had to be almost surreal to an extent to yeah. be the Son of God. To then, you know, you're recognized at some points, you're driven out at other points, but then somebody fully gets what what they mean, not only what y- who you are, but what who they are and what they mean to you, or at least what they thought they did. And then you get to slowly unpack that, hey, the bad, the bad news that you thought, uh, you recognize who you were and you recognize who I was and you thought that was bad news, but I get to tell you that it's good news, how cool that would be for that you. Is, that is so, so, so good. And I, I this is one thing I love about how we're doing this is, I've just never thought about, I I did it, I did it. I became, well, Jesus was perfect, so he knew this was all going to happen. He didn't know this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And how reassuring is this to walk away with four men? He doesn't know how all this is going to go. He has a general sense, I believe. But it's like, hey, these guys are committed enough to leave everything? I mean, the confidence boost mm-hmm. it would be, which seems weird to say about the Son of God. But I think you're right. He's still becoming accustomed. He accepts it. But he's still being become accustomed to what that feels like in the same way when you receive a job or a role or a title, you're like, oh, that's really good. But then you have to live into it to see what's this really going to be like. Yeah. And so suddenly no longer feel the loneliness of, of the oh, sole yeah. person in the call. I just I, that had to be such a boost to his spirit. And there are plenty of times where he seems set apart and different, but even still just like to be to be on mission with with these guys, to finally have some partners, finally have some people um, that are in his corner. Um, that aren't just there because he can give them really cool things, but are like are there for him 
um, had to have just been so uh, so life giving for him. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always think two weeks later, like, can we do that fish thing? <laughs> it's funny it doesn't come up again to me, but that, it, that's just it is. Although I do love the idea of it. It did come repeatedly come up, um, but the authors were just like, we had to, we had to tell tell him to stop. We we couldn't record it every time. If every time he, he we uh, he asked, we recorded all we would. You would think the bot. You would think Jesus was just about fish. How often he was. Uh, <laughs> can you do the quail miracle? We'd love to see the manna thing. I uh, thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love. <laughs>